All right. I have a PowerPoint here, but I was hoping to have the scripture up there, but that's okay. We're going to look, be looking at Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to talk a little bit so they can figure out this microphone because it's kind of irritating to me. I'm sure it's irritating to you. So uh, we'll just get this figured out here. It was uh, EQ'd for a uh, Polish guy, and now we got a Ukrainian guy here, so it's got to get you know, re-EQ'd for the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the brother or the cousin of, of, of the Polish guy, right? So uh, Frank Kulik. I was actually in Pastor Frank's you know, country of origin, you know, Poland, or his or ancestors anyway, and, and got to see Poland. Uh, and enjoy their cuisine and their hospitality. And um, I'm gonna share a little report here after we look at the text on where I've been and what I was doing there. So you could say, well, what was Pastor Mike doing? Was he just on holiday? Was he vacationing? No, I was actually checking in and following up as a ambassador of Western Canada to the Slavic countries uh, for Slavic Gospel Canada with some of their projects and strategic partnerships. They asked me to come as a representative of the West because there are many supporters in the West. They said, would you come and just be a part of this tour just to see where, where we're strategically partnered with, who are our, you know, our people that we're working with. And it's specifically, I mean, we were curious about the Ukraine because of the war and all that's been going on, what's been happening. We get reports, but it's just nice to kind of sit down with the people face to face and also to encourage them. Because in Ukraine, they're wondering, does anyone care anymore? Or, or like, we got some media at the beginning, but are we, you know, do, does, are people still realizing that, that this is ongoing? And so that was part of the reality of what we, we were dealing with. And so we're going to get there in a moment. But here we're in the harvest, right? This is the reality of Lloydminster right now. Uh, we see these things going on, combines, fields, being slowly harvested, and, and God looks at our world, and this is what he sees. He sees a ripe crop ready to be harvested. Now, I don't think you see that, because I don't, I don't see that sometimes. I see a messed up world that, that has swandered so far away from God that you wonder, is there any hope for it? Right? Some of the foundational principles of, of human life and culture and society, things like family, are slowly being destroyed and, and you know, marriage and, you know, and, 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 you know, education. And we, and we look at the, you know, the circus, which is politics in our world, right? We look at these, these you know, these, these elitists that are trying to, you know, you know, run the world through their, you know, big organizations. And you wonder, is there any hope? But then as I read the scriptures, God doesn't see it that way. He sees this. He sees a harvest. He sees ripe grain, ripe canola, ready for the combine to come in and start chewing away and, and knocking those seeds out of the hulls and, and, and filling up the bin and the hopper of that, of that, of that you know, combine. And, and this is what God sees. He sees spiritual need. And he sent his son to deal and to bring hope to people. And that hope is applicable whether you're in Lloydminster in, you know, Kharkiv, Ukraine, or you're in, in Poland or Central Asia or Georgia or wherever you are, people need the same thing, hope. And Jesus is the answer to that. And so I just wanted to look briefly at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. Maybe you have it on your phone or your Bible with you, but if you don't, that's fine. You just, just listen along. It's only a few verses. It's the end of a big ministry trip that Jesus had. Basically, Jesus preaches a sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. Oh, there we go. 
He preaches this, this Sermon on the Mount. All these people are listening. It's the manifesto of his kingdom. And then he goes out from there and begins to just show people how and who he is and what he can do. He encounters a leper. He's like, are you willing? If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And he, the Jewish man, touches a leper, which you don't do if you're Jewish. And he heals them. He encounters a Roman centurion who sends his slave to him to says, yeah, my servant, you know, my, my servant is sick. Could you heal him? And Jesus is like, okay, I'm, I'm on my way. And he's like, no, 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 you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word. And so Jesus says a word and in a different location, a servant is healed. Jesus walks into Peter's house and there's Peter's mother-in-law with this crazy fever and he just grabs her hand and raises her up, and she gets up and starts making supper, right? He's, he's looking after the disciples, right? Yeah, come on, Mom, we need your, you need your help here. We need some food, you know? But he, he handles this stuff like, like nothing. He's riding in this boat, and there's this horrible storm, and it's like going to just send the, the ship over and down to the bottom of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden, uh, Jesus gets up, and he just says, just be quiet, and this, this, the storm just stops, boom. They land in this Gentile territory where there's pigs feeding on the hill and these crazy demoniacs come out and they're screaming and yelling and Jesus casts the demon out into these pigs and the pigs go down and they're drowned. And and he just handles anything. The worst situations that no one on this earth can handle, Jesus just walks in and boom, it's done. He finds this paralytic coming to him and he tells him that his sins are forgiven and everyone's like, well, who does Jesus think he is? He's like, yeah, just so everyone knows that I got the authority to do this. Get up, take that mat and walk. And he gets up, rolls up his mat and walks out the room. All of the effects of sin in our world are nothing to Jesus. This ruler, we find out in other gospels, he's a synagogue ruler, comes to Jesus. Obviously, the Jewish system hadn't helped him any. And my daughter's sick. She's dying. So en route to healing this guy's daughter, this, this woman touches him and disrupts the, 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 the procession. And, and Jesus is like, whoa, who touched me? And there's this lady. She's got this hemorrhaging issue, this blood issue. She spent all her money trying to get help, and no one's helping her. And she, one touch of Jesus, and boom, it's over. She's healed. And then this guy's like, oh, come on, my daughter's dying. You know, and Jesus gets in there, you know, she's already dead. No, she's not dead. He walks in there, gets, up, gets the little girl up, and it's like, whoa, there is nothing that Jesus can't handle. Two blind men come, and Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us, and he, he heals them. There's this, blind, there's this deaf, there's this demon-possessed mute this guy can't speak. He's obviously possessed. Jesus casts out the demon, and suddenly the guy starts talking. Never talked before. And that leads us right to verse 35, when it says, then. That's after he did all those things. Then. So you see, Jesus, Jesus can handle any situation, any circumstance, all the effects of sin in our world that we live with, even today, Jesus walks in, and boom, he handles it. It says, then Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. We'll just leave that up there. You see, he's got a message that he wants to share. The truth is that we need God. 
And in the scriptures, God is presented as the king. We just read that. He is this exalted, sovereign ruler. Sovereign doesn't mean he's in control of everything, although he does does know everything that's going to happen. Sovereign means an exalted status. It's It's his supreme position. His majestic glory and honor, and he, and he looks over, and, and, and he is the king of the ends of the earth, and yet within the earth, he has given us as creatures the ability to choose and to make decisions, and most of the time we make poor decisions, don't we? And God sends his son into this world preaching a message of the kingdom. You need a king. You need an authority, a perfect authority, a righteous authority to help you to live a life that, that, that is, is of the greatest blessing and benefit because God created us to enjoy this world and to enjoy each other and to, and to have this wonderful life. But the problem is when we live our lives apart from God, we make a mess. I traveled through some countries that have wandered and not included God in their formation of the way in which they live. They're not the nicest countries to be in. Uh, there's a stratification in those countries. There, there's a, an indifference to, to people's needs. There, there's this, the rich, rich, and the poor, poor. And, and, and you wonder, well, what happened there? Well, because God's not in that picture. Um, countries where, where, where human life really doesn't matter. Abortion, uh, genocide, whatever. I mean, you know, we, we just deal with people because like, 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 they're just collateral. It's like chickens or, you know, you know, cattle or, you know, gophers in a field. I mean, whatever. They don't, they don't really matter, right? They're just going to keep breeding anyway and whatever, you know. But, but, but when, you, when you find a country that has God at some point in their history and in, in the development of, of the way in which they live, it's different. I mean, you understand hospitals, universities, all these came about because the Christians wanted to make their place in which they lived a better place. And Jesus is teaching this message. There's good news. The king is here. God has decided to enter this mess and to make a way out of it. God is bringing a plan and a pathway of hope. The message of the good news of the gospel. Here's my issue. Sometimes we get to the second part and we forget about the first part, right? I mean, we need to do the practical stuff, the healing, the, the you know, feeding, and, you know, and that's what I saw a lot of that. I'm telling you, it's, it's real, but, but these go together. You can't just separate it, right? As many missions have started with the gospel, and then they start building hospitals, and they start doing this, and education, blah, 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 and they forget about the gospel somewhere in there. There are micro-businesses and all this stuff. People need the good news first. Now, hungry people need to be fed before they can hear the good news. I get that. But here Jesus is showing us, here's how it works. You, you, you preach and, and you care for the physical needs. In fact, they go together. But you can't just do physical without the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. Just look at the UNICEF and some of these other government agencies that are trying to do humanitarian aid. They're failing. Why? Because they're missing the good news. He's healing every kind of sickness and disease. You see, this is the, the sin. The effect of sin in this world is seen everywhere. Kids that are, that are abandoned, you know, uh, kids that are killed in utero, you know, families falling apart, old people, you know, be, being euthanized. I mean, we're seeing the effect of sin everywhere. And Jesus is coming right into the middle of that. It says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds... 
he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at the crowd and he just sees this, this horrible situation. Like he, he understands the, the reality of the human condition. Um, and this word compassion is that word, the same word used in the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the Samaritan sees the man dying on the side of the road, it says he had compassion. It's his gut level concern. There's not really an English word that translates it accurately or fully. It is the gut level concern that leads to practical intervention and action on your part. This is not you picking up, you know, you know when, you, when you give to like an organization and then they start, you put you on your mailing list and you're getting these letters every time and you know, they're appeal letters all the time and oh, we got this need and this bad, you know, we need help, you know, and, and sometimes you, you look at that and oh, that's too bad and then you throw it in the garbage, right? <laughs> oh, that's nice, you know, that's, you know, that's not compassion. Compassion is saying, whew. Compassion is when you, when you see that guy on the side of the road or that girl trying to change a tire. Compassion is you say, man, I'm sorry for that person. And you actually pulling over, backing up and helping them. That's compassion. Compassion is not, oh, too bad they have a flat tire. Hope they have AMA. That's not compassion. Jesus has compassion on them. Why? Because they're bewildered and helpless. Or maybe the translation you have would say harassed. They're bullied. They've been beaten up. Uh, literally, the, the picture is almost of a sheep on its back with its feet in the air, in the most vulnerable position possible, unable to get itself up. And there's no shepherd to push them up and get them on their feet. Now, I don't know if you're like me. Like, sometimes I, I don't like crowds very much. So, some, you know, like I, sometimes, I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to be, you know, in a part. But, you know, you, sometimes you look at the crowd and think, oh, I just don't want to be in that. And that's, you know, it's just, you know, all those people. But Jesus looks at this crowd and sees, sees this great need. People that need hope and help. And Jesus invites us to see the crowd in the same way. Some of you look at our world situation and you think the solution is to escape the world, to can more food, to raise more animals and livestock, to dry it so that you can live through an apocalypse or whatever and, and just kind of insulate yourself from this horrible world in which we're living. And some of you are tempted to do that. Maybe you're even doing that yours right now. And the Bible actually doesn't advocate that. The Bible says, look at this world and feel something for it. Feel something so much that you're actually willing to step into it and try to do something. I'm going to show you some pictures in a few moments of the, um, the Ukraine and just uh, uh, you know, the war. Uh, two responses in Ukraine. One is to run away and get out of there. Start a new life somewhere else. And for some, maybe that is the right answer. But for others, the, the response, especially the church, was to, to load up vans and drive into the conflict. Drive towards the mess. Drive towards the place where there's holes in the ground and, and houses destroyed and bring food and water and generators and, and hygiene products to those that, that were left behind. Two responses. What's the difference? Compassion that leads to action. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so they're like, what are we supposed to do? And he says to his disciples in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are 
few. Jesus looks at this world and sees opportunity. Do you see it that way? Oh, it's a horrible place. It's awful. Uh, and, and old people, don't say this to young people, okay? Oh, I'm sure glad I'm not raising my kids today. Don't say that. That doesn't help them. It's not nice. Pray for them. I don't know what you're thinking when you say that. Don't say that. The harvest is plentiful. Perhaps the worse it gets, the more the chances that people begin to look outside of themselves for answers. And as they look through the world, they see that there's not a lot of answers. And suddenly Christians show up with blankets and with food and they're sharing the gospel and they're like, this is the answer. It may not fix the fact that, that my, my flat in that apartment building is totally destroyed, but now in my heart at least I know that I belong to God and that, 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 that my future is in his hands. I don't know what's gonna, how it's going to work out, but, but you know, you know, God meets people in those broken places. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What are we supposed to do? Well, in verse 38, therefore, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That's what we do. So as we begin a series on prayer in the next few weeks, the first step as we look at our world and the situations is, is God, would you send people to, to bring the message of hope? I pray this for our city. Understand that? I pray that God would send workers into Sonovas into the oil field sites and the supply places where you work, in the offices, the banks where you, where you guys are employed, the schools where our children attend. I pray for, for workers into his harvest field, for, for workers to go to the ice hockey arenas and to the football fields and the baseball diamonds, for workers to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray for workers. Now, there's a dangerous thing in this prayer. Because in chapter 10, verse 1, it's not on there. It's okay. But he's like, he sends his disciples. Guess what? You're the answer to this prayer. Ha, ha, ha. Go over, you know. We, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, right? He may drag your kid to Chicago or Africa, Boston, or who knows where. That's okay, right? It's his harvest field. So on that note, we'll jump into the PowerPoint. And I just have the, is there a clicker there, Lisa? On the, on the, or on the ground there, yeah, sorry, right, right underneath the chair there, yeah, there we go. Thank you. All right. I entered Ukraine after crossing the Polish border crossing. It was a two-hour crossing. They looked, you know, through our documents, and here we are. It's you know, getting late. Now, the issue we have is there is a curfew still in Ukraine. So midnight, they want everyone kind of in their houses, right? So, so it's getting to be 10, 30. Uh, we have driven at 160 kilometers on the Polish highways. It was scary. I was good for my prayer life. I was praying. <laughs> it might not be the war in Ukraine that kills me. It might be the Ukrainian driver. <laughs> anyway, so this was, and so I'm entering. This is the town. This is the country my grandparents came from. And I'm entering into the, this country, which is a country at war. And so I'm on the western side there, the far left of, of the map, you'll see it's a large, on, on the right side is where most of the conflict and the south is currently going on. So, um, and this was interesting. There, all these churches are open every day, probably twice a day, there's different services going on. This was a service in progress. They actually locked the gate. I was like, maybe that would work at New Life. You might actually show up on time if we locked it. <laughs> 
or I keep you guys in here. Who knows, right? So I was just kind of laughing. Ah, ha, ha. There you go, new life. If you see the chain next week, you know what's happening. <laughs> so um, <laughs> this is a country at war. I don't know if you could tell that, but this is a monument. It's surrounded by this scaffolding and uh, stucco wire. And then those are the, uh, the boards there are basically covering the, you know, the, the glass, the stained glass that is on these churches. They are anticipating at any moment Something could fly in there. Um, the Russian government has Iranian drones that they use. They fly below the de radar detection level so they can come in and, and with IEDs destroy things. So they are preparing for potential destruction. Um, okay, let's just, uh, okay. I'm having, there we go. Oh, sorry, let's go back one. There we go. Soldiers are everywhere. And here you see them with their family, uh, potentially a dad or maybe an older brother. I can't tell on the right side. There's a, a dad with two little girls and his wife. They're taking pictures. One pastor said that he went, they would take supplies and then just aid to the front line. And then they'd go to the soldiers, bring them some food and pray with them. And, and he said, what was weird was and I got to the front line where, where the action is, you know, it gets heats up on occasion. And he said, the guys in the trenches are my dad's age. These are not men, you know, in, in their young 20s. These are 40, 50-year-old men wearing the uniform, defending their country. Uh, whatever you're told, uh, 25 is the age in which you can be conscripted in the Ukraine. If you have three children or more, you are exempt from conscription or potential health issues. So just so you know, uh, they're not pulling 16 year olds off the street. Although younger than that can volunteer but you are not drafted until you're 25, just in case you've heard otherwise. That's, that's the truth of the matter. Um, you just see soldiers, you see vehicles that they've, uh, you know, customized for the front lines, and some of them are in green, some of them are, are not in green, they're just kind of civilian ones. They figure that uh, they bring vehicles in and they last about a week on the front line, and then they're, then they're shot up or destroyed. And so there's vehicles going in all the time to Ukraine to help with this, with this effort. Um, I met these girls in the airport as I was leaving Ukraine, and uh, this one girl on the left-hand side, her name is Svetia, or Svetlana. Um, she was from Kharkiv. This is her house where she used to live. Um, destroyed. She's since moved to the western Ukraine. She works for a ministry called Christian Vision. But, but uh, she's like, yeah, just tell people this is real and it's still going on, and not to forget about us and to keep praying for us. Um, just... So, you know, I mean, you know, like this, this is real. The Western media doesn't give us a good picture of it uh, or an accurate picture of it. If you've heard lies about something like Ukrainians doing genocide, you know, that, that is a complete fabrication of some idiot in the States. It's all lies. Don't believe it and don't get caught up in those stupid threads of, of misinformation. Um, and I'm just having a problem here getting this thing to work. All right. There we go. Okay, sorry, go back to the next. Sorry, go back. Here's a church. Here is a list of people that have died already in the war. They've got this thing. Please pray for these and, these and their families. And so I'm like, this is a tiny little church. And this is just one, you know, two, two, you know six sheets of, of names and pictures. And I thought, yeah, this is real. 
So I met with the regional pastors. These are men that are, that are located in the central and western region of the Ukraine. On the right-hand side there, each of them responsible for a different state or province, an oblast, they call it. And they each shared what they were doing. What they said was, the week before the war, they got together and said, something is going to happen. What should we do? And so they prepared a plan. He said there were a couple guys in the room that said, nothing's going to happen. We don't need to do anything. And the one guy there in the, in the, in the middle there, he said, we decided, no, we're going to have a plan. Depending on where the conflict happened, the other regions would respond accordingly. Uh, primarily was transportation, moving people out, uh, housing, uh, food, and just kind of the stream of people getting away from the conflict zone into safer regions. And so these men shared how each of them, some of them now are, are loading up buses and vans every week, every other week, and driving into these zones and delivering food and hygiene supplies and water and generators to people in need. They are helping the helpless. And SGA Canada is, is partnering with these guys and, and helping them to, to have the resources and support to, to bring this food and supplies to them. Uh, and the next slide, there we go. You, this is Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary in Lviv. Um, this is interesting enough. This seminary had 60 people in it five years ago. Uh, Today, there's 2,000 students. So somehow the war hasn't slowed this ministry down. In fact, it's accelerated. Now, they are working on a program to have 17 we care centers located across the, the, the country of Ukraine where they provide support to displaced people and to people in need, and as well as, as also helping go bring in supplies to the front lines. Um, we heard reports from seven of them. These are pictures of four. The guy on the right-hand side, his name is Artum. He was 750 meters from the airport in Kiev on November 24th, 4.30 a.m., when the first missile strikes hit the airport. Um, he takes groups into the front line. He has a Canadian visa. He's like, I want to come to Canada. I said, I don't want you in Canada. I want you to stay in Ukraine. I said, no, I don't want to live in Canada. I just want to come and tell my story in Canada. So he, he may show up here someday. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he, just a, a passionate guy. They just go right into the front lines, and they're bringing... Um, supplies, support, encouragement. Uh, they're doing a lot of counseling to people because there's just a lot of trauma and fear and anxiety, of course. Uh, you know how we get those alerts for like tornadoes or missing children on your iPhone? Well, they get those for missiles in the Ukraine, right? So they'll get this alert. Oh, there's a missile coming. It's coming from the south. It's coming from the east. It's coming to the west. It gives them an approximate time to, to their location of when that would land, if it does land there. And so this is normal life for them. These guys shared their stories of how, at the beginning, they were just helping thousands of people move through. And now they're, they're, they're providing support, and they're preparing for the next stage, which is, is um, you know, people coming at post-war home, um, widows that don't have husbands anymore, children that don't have parents. Uh, they're, they're thinking about, okay, what are the long-term ramifications of this war? And so uh, UBTS has developed this, this 17 We Care centers. We visited one in Lviv. This is, you'll see on the left-hand side there, this is the, the center, and on the right is, is this like Soviet-era housing block, which is surrounding this, this center. There's just thousands of people, and they have this place where people can come, they can eat, they, they can have, there's a medical group that comes in and provides free clinics for some of these displaced people, and they're providing things, you know, programs for moms. In many of these places, the schools have been destroyed, 1,300 schools. Russia has bombed out. And so this, they're also trying to provide education for kids that have no schooling. So uh, they're doing practical things in addition to sharing the good news 
of Jesus Christ. One of the projects that they, they would like to consider is the next slide here. Um, sorry, go back here. There we go. This, they'd like to create this like patio space where people could have coffee and gather together and, and visit. And of course, there's like thousands of people around there. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe New Life, we could go and help them build a little place for, to do ministry to these thousands of people that live around them. Okay. And the next slide. Um, It's a mall on your left-hand side. It's this ugly building, some Soviet architect. Oh, sorry, let's go back there. Uh, they have this, like, food place, or, or, sorry, clothing place there, and diapers you can pick up. Uh, and there's also free counseling, which, or legal advice. Lawyers come in, and so they help these people that are displaced and living in Lviv. Uh, 16,000 people have gone through this store in this mall since the beginning of the war. Uh, next slide is upstairs, they have this place where they're building camouflage nets. So they send these to the front lines so they can cover up and hide things so that the drones can't see them. And so these women are there. The one lady that was, I don't have that picture on there, is an older lady from Mariupol. She said, yeah, her whole apartment building was destroyed, nothing left. And there she is cutting up strips of cloth so these women can tie it on. They're just all helping out with the war effort. It's kind of weird because we don't live in this world. But for them, they're like, no, this is our country. We need to, to do what we can to help and, and protect. And so this is what we're seeing happening. Okay. The next slide shows, uh, oh, sorry, we'll go back there. There's a group in, in Ukraine called Hebron Soft and Hebron Academy, which is providing a place for, for orphans and kids from like social services to get trained. Because the problem is SGA for years has supported orphans and they get to 18. And it's like, well, now what are they supposed to do? I don't know. And they don't know how to live. They don't haven't been given tools for life, and, and, and they can't get jobs that they, they can make enough money to actually support themselves. So this group, this company said, Let, let's create a place where orphans, kids from ho broken homes, kids from, from juvie kind of can come in and train in, in software and learn how to, to do coding. And so they have this residential program there where they give them life skills and practical training. And then uh, some, many of them go on to work for Hebron Software, other coding companies or software companies in the Lviv area. So it's kind of a, it, it's a step forward in terms of, okay, now we help orphans, but what do they do when they become adults? Well, now we're giving them tools um, and, and, and resources and, and, and a, you know, give them a way that they can give back and become productive. And so this is a neat kind of a second step for, for SGA Canada in, in getting you know, orphans to the next stage of being, you know, healthy, productive adults. So there we go. Um, the next slide shows us uh, just some people. They're, they're everywhere. People with real needs that need Jesus. And God says, when you look, what do you see? And of course, the next stage, you know, there's a lot of religious activity going on. And in the next slide there, uh, there's a lot of religious activity going on. And the next slide, you know, there's churches everywhere. But, but we don't need buildings. We don't need religious activity. We need Jesus. And that's what we want to praise, that workers would go into the harvest to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We also met with some Georgian pastors at the last part of my trip. Um, Georgia is a town, is a country with 500 believers in their churches, and, uh, and these are a few of the pastors, and we just talked about some of the projects they're doing. Uh, I got a picture here of Georgia. This is the country. You notice it's surrounded by Russia, you know, uh, Turkey, Armenia, Azerbaijan. It's, you know, it's fairly 
kind of a, and close to where the war is going on, but they've allowed, they've supported many uh, Ukrainians that have moved out and, and are, you know, looking for support. So here, I have a next slide there is a, a picture. Yeah, you know, here's in a church, there was a, yeah, they're providing humanitarian aids to Ukrainians. The last uh, part of my trip with that group was this, um, meeting Vitaly Moroz. He was from Volgograd. He drove down to Georgia because we can't go into Russia. And he talked about how from the Russian side, he was going into these war-torn areas and bringing aid and support and setting up clinics and places. And, and they have baptized more than 150 people in the Mariupol area and continue to provide ongoing you know, support. They send a team in for a week and then they send another team in and then that team comes out and then another team in and that team comes out. And so every week there's a whole group of people and they stay there all week. They have soup kitchens. They're doing, you know, Bible studies. They're just helping the people in these areas that have been destroyed. And so uh, from the Ukrainian side, they're doing it. From the Russian side, they're doing it. It's encouraging. He runs a missionary school in his church in the Volgograd region where they will train five to seven missionaries and send them out every 10 months. And they're having great success with mission. And so we still have some connections with Russia. And thank God for guys like Vitaly Moroz, who is a Ukrainian, living in Russia. He's sort of this no man's land. He's got this son that's 17. He doesn't know, like, well, what's going to happen to my son? Because if he stays in Russia, he could get conscripted. If he goes to Ukraine, he could get conscripted. He's sort of like, you know, what, what, do I, how do I, what, what do I do with this? And I'm like, well, I'll pray for you, Vitaly. But anyway, so there, Russia is Ukrainian. You know, I said, how, how do you get in there? What do you do? He says, well, when I go in there, I say, we're not Russians, we're not Ukrainians, we're Christians. We don't have any weapons, we just food and water and hygiene products. We're just trying to help the people that need help. And so the Russian soldiers let them go in and they do their thing and they get out. And so thankful for that. Again, one more picture just of some people. Whether it's that little gypsy girl carrying a bouquet of flowers, trying to get a few rubles out of someone, I watched her for 10, 15 minutes. I don't know where her parents were, but she was about this tall. Or the blind accordion player or the musician with the weird Ukrainian instrument. The baba with three lemons trying to hawk them off at the entrance to the, far, to the pharmacy in Georgia or the street worker there who's sweeping and cleaning up the streets in Georgia. I mean, these are people that Christ died for. And do we see that when we look at the people around us, that there are people that God sent his son Jesus to die for? All right. So what's our response? Matthew 9, verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Okay. We're going to shut off the live stream now. Those of you who joined us online, glad you came, glad you joined us. God bless you. But we're going to go on to the second part of my report, which you don't get to see unless you're here because...